Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 88, Happy at Work, Top Habits That Keep People Engaged and Successful, featuring Jim Donovan. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Well, if you've been listening to the show for very long at all, it's no surprise to you that employee disengagement in the U.S. is as high as 70%, which means that people are not happy and not productive at work. And that's costing an awful lot of money. And you got to ask the question, whose responsibility is it for people to be happy at work? Is it the company? Is it managers? Or is it employees themselves? Well, here to help us look into that topic and think about the habits, the top habits that people have to be happy at work is Jim Donovan. Jim is a consultant and speaker who offers workplace advice to employers and employees on how to make their work lives more fulfilling. His brand new book is Happy at Work, which provides loads of tips and habits that happy leaders do put into practice at work. Jim Donovan, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Oh, thank you, Jesse. It's my pleasure to be here. Jim, let's just start off by asking the question, whose responsibility is it? When we say people are disengaged at work, they're not happy, they're not really contributing, whose fault is that? That's an interesting question because a lot of the recent articles in the media have been talking about what the company should be doing this, and you're going to buy some foosball tables and pool tables, and you need an executive chef in the break room and all of this stuff. And, and there obviously, it's a two-way street. Right? The short answer is everybody's responsible. But personally, I take responsibility for my own life and how I feel and whether I'm happy or engaged or not happy or mad or angry or whatever. I'm in charge of that because nobody else is in my head but me most of the time. Um, and I think that's part of it. There is a part, obviously, there are things that companies can do. And one, I think one of them, and that's a big one in your, it's your turf and mine, is investing in your people. You know, I, don't, I think we've, we've moved on, and I don't think I know this because I'm old enough to know this. We've moved from a time when we trained people, we developed people, we reinvested in people, and all of a sudden, everybody's looking at the bottom line and accounting the beans. That's all well and good, right? Well, you you got to make money. I was at a, an event yesterday, and I listened to someone who was a franchise owner for Chick-fil-A, who was a keynote speaker. And it was great. He did a, a he took a piece from uh, the book Good to Great and talked about results and relationships. And that's the piece that I think people are overlooking. They're glossing by it. Everybody's so results oriented. Got to get the bottom line. Got to get sales up. Got to get profits up. Got to do this. Got to get that. Got to get more. Work more hard. Burning people out. I mean, I see it. I see companies. You see salesmen walking down the street. Right. AT and T has got these young kids coming down the street, right out of looks like right out of high school. They're probably right out of college. They burn through them. I was having my hair cut one day, and a, a kid comes walking in with a, with a portfolio presentation, whatever. Now, he wants the person cutting my hair, who's the owner of the place, to stop cutting my hair and listen to his pitch for a cellular phone. What do you think the odds are of that happening? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> if she doesn't throw him out, I'm going to throw him out because it's my haircut time. I mean, how how what how effective is that? They're going to burn this kid out in six months, and they're going to hire another kid with a new tie and a new shirt, and he's going to go out there. And I guess it works at some point, but at what cost is this working? 
That's a question I think we need to start asking. What do we, we have responsibilities as leaders, as executives, as business owners, not just to pay people a salary for a job. It's a, a community thing. If you go back 100 years and look at how companies handled themselves and look at the real leaders, the people, the, you know, the Carnegies and those guys that came out of there and the, the Rockefellers and people that built really huge businesses, but at the same time, they nurtured and took care of the people in those businesses. And I think we're losing sight of some of that. Sorry, that was a real long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, Jim, how did you decide to make workplace happiness and engagement such a big priority? Because that wasn't always the case for you. No, it wasn't. I, I have been since 1996. My first book, Handbook to a Happier Life, came out in 96. And I have been since then pretty much working in personal development um, and on the on pretty individual stuff. But I've, I've done seminars for business and companies and, uh, you know, getting the most out of your people and yourself because it all kind of winds in together, personal development, employee, workplace. We start out, we're people. If I'm not happy at home, ah, I'm not going to be happy at work. So we start with that. Um, I mean, it's an inter- it goes back and forth, but I just, I realized that I needed to, to rethink this a little bit. I needed, number one, I needed a, a new mission. I was getting a little bit kind of like been there, done that. I wrote five other books and pretty much in personal development. One was a little how to make some money thing and one was the baby boomers, but they're all revolving around and the, my content is still the same. My turf is personal development, but I'm, I'm applying it in the workplace and I'm spinning at the workplace. People are unhappy. Companies are losing money. You know, this is, I, I look at this, and I say, you know, things have, something has to be done. And I'm not one of these people that says they have to do something. I and mean, if I see something like that, that I have a voice in this, I have something to say, I have something to contribute, I can help companies raise the energy of the people, raise the engagement, work with the managers, work with team leaders. If I have that ability, it's like my coach told me last week, he said, you have an obligation to be doing this. I'm like, oh, yeah, but I'm going to have to get out of bed earlier. Yeah, I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm an old aging middle-aged guy. I'm a baby boomer. It's like, yeah. But I have, I'm, I'm also like a Zig Ziglar. I have no intention of retiring ever. One of my goals is to be the first 100-year-old motivational speaker. We'll see how that plays out. I like that. Like, yeah, if I get there or not, I'm going to keep going until I can't go anymore. So I have three, to me, retirement is the worst thing anybody ever came up with because you lose – you don't have to stay in your job forever, but you go find something you love doing. I took the path that says, you know, if you do your love, you never work a day in your life. That's kind of where I am. I just, I can't imagine not doing what I'm doing right now. I mean, there have been times I'll, I'll do whatever is necessary to, to pay the bills, but I stay with this one core. It's interesting that you mentioned that the personal development principles really do work. That when people come to, came to your events to hear you speak or buy your book in a bookstore, they are the people that really are putting that stuff into practice. But so many people in the workplace don't even know those resources exist. They don't know a lot of those personal development principles. Exactly. Because they're not, they're not getting it anywhere. I mean, unless you go out on your own, unless you're your self-starter and the people that do that, that's the percentage that's engaged at work. Those are the people that are doing <laughs> the best they can. They're having a good time. And, and I see them all the time. There's certain businesses that have that down pat that, that, you know, you walk into certain stores and you can tell immediately how well they're running the place. And that was, the, I had a conversation with the Chick-fil-A guy about that yesterday because their, their company culture is that. They invest in their people and they invest in their community. And guess what? They're really successful. Gee, what a coincidence that is. You know, uh, Zappos, another one, Starbucks, uh, Amazon. These are all companies that are realizing the value of the people coming in the door every day. But the principles were not getting there. I mean, if everybody 
keeps throwing the three percent phrase around. I don't know if it's three or five percent of the people that do goal setting and done anything in personal development, not just goal setting, but any anything at all, or even read a personal development book, or self help book, or a business book. Or, you know, I see people going to executive jobs and management jobs. They haven't read a book in twenty years. I don't know what they're doing or why, but and they, you know there are the people like we were talking earlier about. They just they go to work every day and they just show up and they they do the the least they can get away with and they go home and they're miserable and they don't know why they're miserable. And I look at that and I say I can help those people. I I know how to change how I feel. My life has been a roller coaster. Or it was for a period of at least ten years. I mean it was an absolute going a downward spiral for 10 years. We talked about that a little bit earlier. I'll share some of that. I basically trashed my own life. It took me about 10 years to do it. I started at what I thought was the bottom. And 10 years later, I gave up. I had you know, some personal habits I had to deal with, I had to get help with. I was, I was very self-destructive for that period, all the while thinking that my life was getting worse and worse because uh, I, I, was, I was doing a lot of substances because my life was so messed up and I didn't realize I had it backwards. Because once I stopped that, my life started getting a lot less messed up. It's like, wow, what a coincidence that is. But I, I got on a path in 1986. I got on a path of personal development. I started with Dr. Dennis Waitley's Psychology of Winning and several books simultaneously in the audios. And, and I just became addicted to it. I mean, I really, I read self-help on a daily basis or I listen to something. I, I figured out that it's very simple. But if I go for a week without putting something positive in my mind, I'm going to start sounding like everybody else, all the other jamokes out there talking about what's wrong with this and the government should do that and the company's got to do this. And, and it's all that whole blaming, complaining, the whining, the justifying. It's, it's, it's getting to a, a, higher, a too high a volume. I have to give it a metaphor. It's getting too loud. There's too much of it. That's all I'm hearing about. All I'm hearing about is how bad things are, how bad they are in the schools, and how bad they are in companies, and the neighborhoods, and the gangs, and the heroin problem, and all this stuff. If people start feeling better, if people start taking better care of themselves and start raising their self-esteem, those problems will start disappearing. They weren't always there. We're in a very dangerous place in America right now, and I'm old enough to be able to say that. I've seen different times and I've been through enough things that, you know, you can see the handwriting on the walls. I have a, a gift that I got as a kid playing with a band. I can sense something trouble coming off, starting to up, happen. You know, if I'm in a, we were playing in a nightclub and there's a fight starting somewhere in the building. You get so you can feel it before it starts. So I'm, I'm feeling something in, in the United States at this moment that this is not a good path we're on. You know, all you're hearing about is the disengagement and the, the economy is down and the middle class disappearing and all these things are, that's a really bad direction to be going in. I don't want to preach about it, but we got to do, it's time to just pull it back and say, okay, let's, let's start raising ourselves up. Let's not race to the bottom because that's what we've been doing. I mean, all anybody cares about is a dollar bill. That's, that's nonsense. I'm sorry. I don't care. I wrote an article about what's the difference. And if, if the universe is in fact abundant. And that's a little something you can pretty much prove everywhere but with people. So if we live in an abundant universe, then how really how important is it how much I pay for something within reason? You know, mm -hmm. this one was, uh, there was a story years ago that Dr. Wayne Dyer told about a guy who was a, the owner of a car company, a rental company, and he was having his car washed by six people. And Wayne says, what are you crazy? What are you, well, you got six guys washing your car. He said, yeah. I said, who wants to make 10 bucks? And everybody said me. So I gave him all 10 bucks to wash my car. And Wayne, Wayne is floored, right? Because this is the 90s. He said, you paid $60 to get your car washed. <laughs> and the guy looked at him and said, when you understand it doesn't matter, then you'll get it. 
it's fine to have a profit, but we've got to lighten that up a little bit and, and ask ourselves, that what are the responsibilities? What's the ethical responsibility of a business to its employees? And vice versa. That, that has to be a two-way street. It can't just be you give, 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 and then you got the ex, the uh, entitlement crowd moving into companies. And I, I expect this and that, or I don't work here. Well, you know what? Don't work here. So I'll go find somebody to do twice the job that you're doing, and they'll be perfectly fine and willing to meet me halfway. We all have to be willing. We're just people, man. We're just all people walking around here on Earth. So why are we complicating it? Maybe I, maybe I oversimplify things. That could be. But you know what? I'm happy. <laughs> I'm having a good time. That's <laughs> you. There's the, there's the real determinant right there. You know? How do you feel at the end of the day? How do you sleep at night? Because people are basically good. People want to essentially want to help each other. You know, you got to get away from the fear. Got to get out of this whole dog eat dog mindset. You know, it's got to come. Like I said, it's, we have to raise the the vibration, the energy, the psyche, the positivity of the American workforce right now. Not like it'd be a nice thing to do someday. This is this is the day that people like you and me and everyone who does what we do really need to ramp it up and get this get this ship turning around because it's heading the wrong way. We're gonna hit an iceberg. Jim, in your book Happy at Work, you provide sixty tips or habits that people can put into practice to stay engaged and be successful at work. Uh, one of those has to do with managing time better. And I don't know anybody that doesn't think that this gets in the way of being happy at work. So what what do you suggest are some of the, the top things you can do to manage time better? That's, I have a feeling that's going to become one of my favorite parts of this because everybody's running around talking about how they're so busy and I don't have any time and I can't get this and I can't get that. And a part, a part of that may well be true. I'm not saying people aren't busy. I, mean, I can't imagine how people do it. They'll have four kids and two working people in the household and run around in hockey and soccer and all that. But the reality is 24 hours in a day. We all pretty much know that. So one of the first things that you can do, and it's really simple, is stop saying you don't have enough time. Now, there is something called the law of attraction. It is a, an absolute. It will bring you more of whatever you're talking about, focusing on. So the more I notice how much I don't have enough time, the more I'm going to attract not having enough time. So I'm going to get the red lights. Things are going to happen. Uh, it's a fact. And I was going through that a couple of years ago with weight. I kept noticing I wasn't losing any weight and wondering why I wasn't losing any weight. And I woke up one day, and I think I read one of my own books. I, you know, I finally, I was like, wait a minute, you know better than this. You know how to do this. I, I've been, I know these principles. Not like I, it's one thing that I don't know any better, but I know better. I know that if I want to make a change, I need to focus on what's going right, what's working, and go in that direction, or else it's not going to happen. So right there, you stop telling yourself. You start telling yourself, I have plenty of time, and there's always enough time for me to do the things I need to do, because that's going to start to become your, your, your reality. It's going to, you're going to start to attract that. You're going to find out that all of a sudden you've got more time. It sounds crazy, but I challenge someone to try it and come back in 30 days tell me if I'm wrong. You know, the next thing, and this is a, this is more down-earthy kind of thing, is that you make a point of writing three to five of the, the three to five most important things you have to do, and you don't do anything until they're done. Now, most people have, I have a to-do list around here somewhere, it's probably got 25 things. Mm-hmm. In case you look at it, you go, okay, I'll come back to that later. You move on real quick because it's overwhelming. But if I pick three things that are really important, I learned this from my attorney who was a good friend of mine and super fit. I mean, the guy runs 1,200 miles a year. He's older than me. He's 1,200 miles a year. And I said, how do you do it? You've got a busy law practice. You've got a busy life. You've got 
you know, he's single, he dates a couple of women, he's always doing something, he's always on the move. How do you manage to run six days a week? Just go to the gym six days a week and run on the seventh. And he said, I make it one of the top three things I have to do that day. That really increases the likelihood of it getting done. So if something is important, do that. And my last one is, I take from the book, Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy, which is a great concept, and that's kind of the theme of the book. And he's saying, the theme of Eat the Frog, if, Eat the Frog, if you haven't read it, is you basically you start out doing your most difficult, daunting tasks first. Usually we do the easy things, get them out of the way, and then I'll take on the one I don't want to do. You know, the one to fuck about, right? The one to call you don't want to make. We all have those. Do that first, because that frees you. All of a sudden, you've got that load, that, that weight off your back, and now you've just lightened up, and can, all of a sudden, you, you're making more progress on the others. Those are just simple things that you can do. There's probably a hundred more. And I once took a time management course, and there was a lot more to it than that. You know, that'll get somebody started. I think everybody has a certain amount of your job that just ends up being tedious grind. Nobody has 100% of their job that they love everything they do. There's always some percentage of work that you just do it because it's got to be done. So how do you make dull tasks fun? Well, find some way to make it more enjoyable. And there's always something that you can do. You're going to get those tasks, like you said. There's always going to be... You know, I don't get any particular excitement out of washing dishes or doing laundry and things like that, but they get done. The only thing you can do is you can, you can just find a way. It's like, all right, how can we make this more enjoyable? Let's say I've got a project. There's three or four people involved. It's got to get done. It's not particularly fun, but it's got to be done, and we've got to do it. How can you make that more fun? Maybe, you know, I, I told a story in, in Happy at Work about years ago. I, was, I, uh, I had a production company that did training support large corporations, audio, video productions. I started the video communication business, actually. I started broadcast television into video communications on my own from there. Um, we, had this, we had a packaging. We were duplicating audio cassettes for an association. We had about 9,000 cassettes that had to be labeled. And in the book, I wrote it as CDs because I didn't want to make it sound like it was older than it is. But they were cassettes. Tell the truth on the air, anyway. Uh, we had to get them labeled. We had like 9,000, and they had to go into individual binders, and that whole thing had to be packaged with some literature and into individual mailers and box stuff for the client. Not exciting work. So what do you, how do you do that? How do you get that done? We had about three or four people working in the company at the time, and I said, look, how about everybody comes in Saturday morning We'll get some beer, we'll get some pizza, we'll get some soda, we'll get whatever you want. And we'll just do this and we'll make it a good time and we'll just enjoy hanging out together. And it was funny because my business partner at the time had a friend who was a top Navy scientist working with, uh, he was actually working in, I believe it was Rhode Island, they were doing work with dolphins and, and communications things at the time. And he was like GS-16 or something. This guy's a high-level, dual PhD scientist. And he was visiting Irving. So Irving brings him along to the, the labeling party. It was the funniest thing you've ever seen. This guy had a ball because he never got to do stuff like that. You know, you get so high up in something, sometimes getting on the line can be a real joy. Real joy. So that's, you know, that's another way to do it. Just bring recruit some friends. It's like when you were a kid. I know you probably did this. I remember doing it when I was in my early 20s. You're going to move or you're going to paint an apartment. So what do you do? You, you ask everybody you can get your hand on. You come on over, you buy some stuff to eat and drink, and you make a party out of it, right? You, pay, you have a painting party or you have a moving party. It's the same thing. It's, it's how you represent something to yourself. It's never what's going on. I mean, what's the problem? One of the problems I think people have is they look at what's happening in their outer world. They look at their visible world, 
and they start reacting to it, not realizing that that world is being created inside your head. That world is a reflection of your thoughts and your, your, your culmination of your thoughts up to that point. So if you start finding ways of asking yourself, what can I do to make this more enjoyable? How can I make this more bearable? And people way smarter than me have spoken about this over many, many years, and it goes back to someone like Victor Frankl and Man Search for Meaning. And he realized that no matter what, and he was in what had to be one of the worst situations in the history of mankind, being a prisoner in Auschwitz in concentration camp. But he realized that the Nazis could not take away his thought process no matter what. No matter what they did to him, he was free to choose his thoughts, and that, that's what got him through it. It's the same thing that got Captain Jerry Coffey, POW in Vietnam, for seven years, who came back and said it was one of the most amazing things he ever experienced. And he said that he learned, Tony Robbins asked him, how did you do this? How did you get through this? He said, I learned how to master communications with myself. That is such a profound statement. Because what you do, what happens next is going to have everything to do with what you just told yourself. So if I look at something and say, what's good in this situation? What am I happy about? I, I, I do stuff in here. I do the morning questions. So I was in Hamlet Labia. I wrote about that. I talked about you know using your self-talk. I did a seminar last week, and it was a big part of it. And you could do probably all day on that subject, but mm-hmm. uh, there was a book years ago, What Do You Say When You Talk to Yourself? That's a, you know, what are you, what are you telling yourself all day? You're telling yourself, are you doing value finding? Are you looking for the things about your job that you do like, that are good, that are, make, do make you feel good, even if they're minimal, or are you looking at all the problems? Mm-hmm. If you can make that shift. You can choose how you perceive whatever is happening. And everyone's heard the, I felt bad because I had no shoes, and I saw a man who had no feet. I and mean, it is that. If you, if you get in that place of learn how to be grateful for what you have. I see so many people complaining about their lives. And, you know, if you're living in the United States, you're living better than about 80% of the world, if not more, at any level. That's right. Being, being poor in this country is, is coming to the place where you only have one computer or one laptop or two iPhones. Or something. It's getting nuts. And people try it. Have all these toys. I'm all for having more toys in them. Get a little gratitude for your life. You know, maybe be grateful that you woke up in a comfortable, soft bed this morning and some people around you that care about you. Because there are people that don't. There are people that didn't. And if you think it's easy, go go be homeless for a while. Because I've been there and I know what I'm talking about. Go do that. Go live under a tree for a night. Go live on a beach for a couple of days. Go live in Battery Park in New York. I didn't make it through the night there. It's too scary a place. I'm not ashamed to admit. And my friend Charlie, who was combat Vietnam, he was a little bit nervous too. We got out of there. Weird places. So realize how good you have it. If you have a job to go to, how many people can I get to take over your job tomorrow who are looking to have a job or would be thrilled to have a job? This is one of the reasons people come here from other countries and are so successful. They are looking at the opportunity. And I go, well, nobody paid for me to go to the seminar. Why should I go to the seminar? That's the attitude from people. Why is it a Tony Robbins event? I paid out of my pocket. It was my several hundred dollars to pay for that event. A friend of mine brought a sales team. These guys were like, yeah, this is okay. Like, you would have a different opinion if it was your money on the table. And you get people, I'll go to the seminar if the company pays for it. Who's getting the personal development? Who's getting the learning and the knowledge? You are. And I said, start from there. It's a, like I said earlier, it's a two-way street. You really have to. Now, some of the tips in the book maybe sound big and maybe hard, like setting goals and 
to figure out your values, but some of them are just very down to earth and practical that might surprise people that would affect their happiness, like get up and start moving. Why is that important? That's fascinating. I, I, learned, I learned a lot of the basic stuff that came out of the work Tony Robbins did with Daryl and Grimler and NLP and stuff back in the 80s. And when you start moving, you're automatically moving into different centers of, the, of your brain. The mind-body connection is, is a complete it's a connection. It's a medical-proven fact. So when you start moving, it's very difficult to be moving and feel depressed at the same time. I mean, unless you have clinical depression, it's probably going to be impossible. I don't, I don't, I've never seen anybody walking, taking a walk down the street looking miserable. People usually feel unhappy, except maybe joggers because they're feeling pain sometimes. They shouldn't be joggers they feel pain. But, you know, you, you, moving does that. It starts stirring us up. It starts changing our energy. Anytime you can mix up the energy in any situation, you're going to get different results. Now, there was a story that uh, when Ronald Reagan was negotiating with Gorbachev, he told his people ahead of time that they were going to reach an impasse. He said, then I'm going to grab his arm, we're going to go for a walk. That's when they made the deal. He didn't seal the deal at the table. He sealed it walking. That's probably why so many deals are done on a golf course. Because you get more relaxed, you get more feeling better, you're feeling more open to ideas. There's no way not sitting there with your arms crossed, you know, with your, with your mind shut to whatever that person across the desk is trying to sell you if you're in sales. You know, people open up a little bit. So I, I've done meetings, walking meetings. Just be careful if you do it with somebody who walks a long distance every day. Make sure you know that going in. I got kind of sad days on that one. That <laughs> walks five miles a day. He's walking about 80 miles an hour. I try to keep up with him. Out of breath. <laughs> but no, it's fun. It's, it's an interesting way to have meetings because you get exercise and you get different communication because you're moving. And you, again, you're tapping different parts of your brain, different, different parts of your brain, engaging in different times, getting the stimulus and the, the, the fluid motion, fluids are moving through your body and all kinds of cool stuff's happening. So it's a simple thing. I mean, how hard is that? Just get up and walk across the room. When you come back, you'll probably feel a little better than you did it does. It is a simple thing, but it, it reminds me of another of your chapters, Break Your Patterns, which seems simple but makes a big difference. Yeah, and, and they are similar in that regard. Because, again, when you, you know, the pattern thing is if you think about it, you probably eat the same foods, go to the same restaurants, you drive the same way to work, you put your clothes on the same way every day, you brush your teeth the same way. Try mixing that up a little bit. Watch what happens. And just be careful if you don't put your pants on. I do this in seminars. Make sure that people, I tell people, make sure you're standing near something you can hold on to. Because if you put your right leg in your pants first, typically, and tomorrow morning you get up and you go put your left leg in, you might fall. You seriously could fall down and get hurt. Because your body is so not used to that. Try just changing hands with your toothbrush and see how weird it feels. And so what you do is you're stimulating new brain centers. Again, you're moving, you're stimulating different parts of your brain, causing them to create new neural pathways. A lot of things they do with elderly people. That's why uh, some of these computer games and things are so good for people with dementia. As they found, and there's a science called... Um, neuroplasticity. They found out that the brain, you know, the old adage that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, is not really true. You can't teach the new tricks on the same track, but you can create new tracks, and that's what your brain does. Your brain lays down petals connecting neurons. And the more you mix that up, the more you can create new pathways. You can't do anything with burned out dead brain cells, but you can create new pathways in your brain which, which can continually increase your intellectual capacity. And this is what the people in the 
neuroscience world are messing around with now. They're learning and showing people how you can, in fact, change things. You can, somebody can have going into dementia. They can pull back from that if they start doing something about it. Um, but breaking patterns starts out with that. That's why you see people, Steven Spielberg talks about when he's working on a movie, when he's working on an idea, he'll go for a drive in a car. Because again, you're seeing new stimulus. He's doing an activity that's pretty much automatic. You're not, your mind is not heavily engaged in driving the car. Unfortunately, sometimes people are not engaged at all driving the car. But it doesn't take a lot of brain power <laughs> to drive the car. It's just an instinctual reaction. So your mind is free to do other things. So if you're doing that, and if you're driving around and seeing different scenery, especially if you're going different places, that stimulates creativity. Creativity is just connecting two things that are going to connect it gives you a third idea. So it's a simple, again, it's simple. A lot of stuff, I had a visit chapter in Happy Work that talks about hydrating. Now, what is a drink order? Mm-hmm. Talk to a chiropractor. They tell you 90% of their patients have dehydration. And that adds to the problems in the spine. And it's the back pain. The back pain are probably dehydrated right off the bat. I'm not saying it's going to cure it, but, I, but it'll help us. Uh, little, little things. You get, I had this happen to me yesterday. I was coming back from a trade show. Uh, and I started feeling really tired. It was like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I was really starting to drag, and I had a call later the last night. I had a client, a coaching call with a client. And I realized when I got home, I had not had any water all day. I had lots of coffee. I had a gallon of coffee, you know, a couple of, couple of good-sized coffees anyway. And I hadn't really eaten much. I had some carbs and I had a muffin or something. So, yeah, between the carb fog going on in my brain, the coffee high crashing because now my adrenals are going the other direction after the buzz, and the lack of hydration, there's a real good reason why I was dragging. It's not my normal state. So when you get that 3 o'clock in the afternoon tired, go get some water. Don't reach for the coffee. Reach for the water. Reach for some better foods. That's a whole other thing. People are eating. And I'm lucky. I, I fortunately I get to work at home most of the time, so I don't have to, I'm not subjected to the, the pastries and the donuts that are in every office and every workplace. I mean, my <laughs> gastrointestinologist used to have people bring in cake cookies for the cake. I asked him if he was trying to drum up new business. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing stomach work here. You're feeding people pastries all day. Well, this book has 60 great ideas for being happier at work. And obviously, as a leader, we should be trying different ideas and making sure that we're consistently engaged and happy in our work. But beyond that, how can leaders help their people uh, learn these ideas too? Do you, is this, should, should leaders consider having uh, weekly uh, sessions and where they talk about, pick one chapter out of the book and, uh, and share it with their folks? I think that would be a cool thing to do. I think I know that would really improve things. And there are a couple of chapters specifically. Uh, there's one where I talk about using, changing your tone of meetings around to what's going right, what's working. Uh, there's a wonderful book that I don't know how much play it got called Breaking the Rules by Kurt Wright. Uh, he did a lot of that. He does, he does inquiry and intuitive questioning techniques and things like that. Uh, so you can, you can change the way you're doing meetings. You can take a topic and you can bring it into a group discussion. Like you said, you can talk about that. You can talk about, it's, I think it's just a matter of getting people focused on taking over how they feel. That's a big part of it. And, taking, and then how do, you, how do you implement that? I mean, there are specific chapters. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a, a management book, per se. It's a self-help book. It's in the self-help category. But things like goals you can do. What I, what I do in a vision, 
creating, creating a vision and extracting goals and actions and, and from that based on your values going in. They do the values and understand what drives you. That can be the, under, under, in the workplace, it's often called strategic planning. It's basically the same thing. What has to happen in this department for us to get to the, the best place we can get us? Now, how do you, how do you hit, hit the perfection? How do you hit the ideal result? You know, how do we, how do you double sales next year? Some people look at your plan and say, it's been done. Well, lots of people have done it. And you set outrageous goals and then come up with crazy ways to achieve it. <laughs> That's kind of how I live. I don't know, but if you do, so it's Bob Proctor. It's very light. He said, "If your big goals don't scare you, they're not big enough. It should be exciting and scary at the same time." And I'm kind of in the middle of that right now. I'm, I'm moving into a space I'm not coming, I've never been before. In recognition, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a little bit shaky. I wrote a blog post the other day that any I realized I found out the hard way that every emotion, any intense emotion, it has the same reaction to it. Whether it's intensely good or intensely bad, it's intense. <laughs> intense. Intense good is not la di da like I would have thought of it. It's, pretty, it's still pretty intense. I'm so very emotional over the last week, which realizing how many people stepped up to help with this project and how many people are supporting the work that I'm doing, trying to help get out there with me. You know, people like you that are we're on the same page. We we know things need to get better, and the way to do that is to to train, to invest, to Develop the number one thing you have in any company, which are employees. We're not we're not digging mines so much anymore. We're not running factories and assembly lines so much. We're more in the the creative, like Dan Pink wrote in the whole new mind. We're in the creative phase, not the information age anymore. The industrial age, we're in the creative age. The people, what's making the innovation, what's driving the companies that are succeeding the most is innovation, and that's sorely lacking in this country at the moment. Um, but again, you invest in, raise the people up, and they will become more innovative. You get, the better you feel, the more ideas come. And that higher level of being and living, let's call it that, well, living at a higher level, where you're literally at a higher frequency, at a higher vibration, you're more open to opportunity, you're more open to good. And all these things have a relative frequency difference between them. Joy and depression are at opposite ends of the spectrum, or above gratitude and depression and apathy or opposite ends of the spectrum is the word Dave Hawkins did in power versus force. Using kinesiology to measure how they affect you and the wavelengths and whatnot. And you can't, Jack Canfield talked about that, how you cannot be in a negative state of mind and have access to your full potential. It isn't possible. Your brain is not there. You don't have all your resources available if you're in the negative state. Because we're not built to be negative. We're built to enjoy life. We're built to, you know, just live and live abundant. The Bible talks about it. Every religion talks about living. Not struggling, not scraping by, not growl, growling for things you want, not begging. Living, live large, live loud. Do something. That's a big part of my message. You can have anything you want in this world, but you do something for it. Get back. Get, where do you, if you find out where you can make the biggest contribution, whether it's a business or an individual, you'll find out where your money is, where your fortune is. And I know personally, many millionaires who have followed that path. We all know, do what you love, the money would follow. I mean, if you're really feeling good and you're doing something, and it's not, I don't think it's so much about a different job with people. It's do what you love doesn't mean, to me, doesn't mean quit your job and go somewhere else. I mean, you're there. You, you went there in the first place. Maybe you lost touch with why you're there. I see that a lot in smaller business, business owners. They forgot where they started. And every day it's just another drag, put the keys in the door cut, and got to make the dominance. But if you go back and you rethink it, you want that back to and re-inspire yourself. 
you know, you, people have to become self-motivated. I can't motivate anybody. They, they use the phrase motivational speaker, but the reality is you motivate yourself. I can maybe inspire you. I can't motivate you. I don't think I can motivate you. The person has to come from within. This is just doing something. You can, you can cause them to do it through all kinds of ways. They need to start just feeling better. And just the one, the common theme that keeps coming up as I've been doing a couple of interviews and talking to people about the new book is that we just have to start feeling better. People don't feel not emotionally well. Not, there's a one out of one out of ten women in the United States are on an antidepressant. I mean, hey, something's wrong with this picture. You know, headaches are not caused by a shortage of aspirin. Something is not right in the system. The system being your body from from your body on out to the world at large. Something's amiss. Well, the book is Happy at Work, which is of course available on Amazon. But Jim, beyond that, how can folks find out more about you and and the book and your work as a as a speaker and a consultant? Well, if you go to my website, it's jimdonovan.com. It's J-I-M-D-O-N-O-V-A-N.com. If you go to jimdonovan.com forward slash happy, you can get my newsletter and you can get a free gift. And you know, I always have something to give away there. Give somebody some value. Um, hopefully, I think what's there now is a you know, special report on designing the lives and, and an audio. Uh, may or may not be there, depending on when you're listening to this, but there's always a free something. And you got my newsletter, yeah, okay. If you want to give up, you click the unsubscribe button. No, it's not. It's a pretty simple thing. But uh, I think you learn everything. Everything you want to know is there. That's kind of my base camp. I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Feed, YouTube. I'm around <laughs> social media. <laughs> Nobody is very far away. That's right. It's amazing how much the world has opened up from this. Well, happy at work, 60 simple ways to stay engaged and be successful. Jim Donovan, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Oh, Jesse, it's my pleasure. Anytime, anything I can do to help you, by all means, just let me know. All right, Engagers. Well, that wraps up this episode, but I think it raises a good point. Beyond just providing a great place to work, can company leaders help employees do better at taking responsibility for their own contribution to their engagement and happiness. And this book, Happy at Work, as well as Jim's Happy at Work seminars, uh, those are, I think, great opportunities that leaders can help get some of those messages out because there's a lot of people that just haven't ever learned these kinds of habits. And I have to admit, I've had uh, worked at some companies where they just assumed that we all knew how to both uh, work hard and make money for the company, but also get our own uh, value and meaning out of the employment relationship. And a lot of folks just have never learned that. So I think the, the happy at work idea is a worthy one for us as leaders. So uh, we will provide on our show notes for this episode all of those links and information that Jim provided. But I would encourage you to grab that book. It's a quick read with uh, each of the 60 chapters is just a short one or two pages long with some good ideas for you. And you can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 88 as in episode 88. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engagingleader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy.
This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 